You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Uh, we've been talking about grasping, gripping, and giving. Now, you're going to notice a QR code here. You're going to want to scan that on your phone. It'll get you to all the scriptures that we're going to use. I'm going to run through a lot of Proverbs this morning, and then I've got Dave Anderson who's going to come up with me, and we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of saving. Uh, one of the things that we decided to do with this series on money, possessions, and power, and I want to make sure we understand the power part of the money and possessions, is this isn't just your run-of-the-mill giving series. If you're visiting with us and you're like me and you have an aversion, anytime people like me stand where I'm standing and talk about money, it's a little, it's a little squeamish and sometimes even a little sketchy. And I respect that and I want to acknowledge that and I want to see that. I hope that as you, if you catch back up to where we have been in our series and you catch up to where we are and where we're headed, I hope that you'll see this is a slightly different framing of how we understand money, possessions, and power. Everybody say power. Y'all struggling. Everybody say power. Power. All right. Y'all need some power this morning now. Um, So I want to make sure that we understand how this works. I want to celebrate God in Rob's word last week, um, who offered a word to us, uh, a meaningful and honest and beautiful word that was hopeful and real that tied into this conversation and how we sometimes kind of take this position of ownership even with our children. Um, And so, Rob, thank you for that. Rob also joined us in mission Um, last week. And then at the end of the gathering, I want to celebrate that Kim Fisher is joining us in mission uh, this week. And so we're going to celebrate and pray over Kim as well. Um, And so God is always just beautifully on the move here. And um, this series that we're in is meant to move us away from this tendency to grip and grasp uh, and more deeply into what it means to give. When we say grasping, we mean that we're grasping. It's the imagery of grasping, that we're reaching out for something. We never have enough. We're never satisfied. And so we're constantly grasping, constantly reaching, trying to fill a hole in our heart or a hole in our soul, or trying to appease our mind or thinking somehow that, that there are things, whether it's people, whether it's men, women, boys, girls, whatever, whether it's money, whether it's material goods, other things that we think somehow that they can fill us up. And we forget that the reality of Scripture is it says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you with me? That godliness, meaning pursuing a life of God with God, just being with God, learning what it means to be loved by God and to love God and to be with God and to love neighbor, that that kind of godliness leads to a kind of commitment that leads to a kind uh, or contentment that leads to a, to a kind of joy that, that, that comes out of actually joy. And, and Rob alluded to this, and we've talked about it for 13 years in this church, y'all. Joy is not happiness. Joy is a deep-seated settlement and contentment in our soul. Joy, another word for joy is satisfaction. That we genuinely are satisfied in our soul. And that's what leads us to a place of contentment. And when, so when Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain, it's like Paul is saying, y'all, that is, yo, yo, like, that's good. Like, that is a climax of your life, is when you have reached that place and you have that satisfaction and that joy in your life that you no longer have to grasp and you no longer have to grip. That idea of gripping is when we hold tight to things because we buy into this, this narrative of scarcity. Scarcity meaning not enough, that there's not enough to go around. That there's not going to be enough toilet paper. There's not enough gas and oil. That there's not enough food. That there's not enough. That I'm not going to have enough if a recession hits. 
that I'm not going to have enough. And that's the scarcity. And so the grasping leads us to this gripping. And a lot of times what we're doing is we're preparing for a rainy day. Does that make sense? And one of the things we're going to talk about this morning is we are oftentimes preparing for our own rainy day, but we're not ready to meet the rainy day of a neighbor. And so when the Bible talks about saving, it's not just saving so we can meet our own rainy days. We have to be willing to meet the rainy day of a neighbor too. And so we looked at John Wesley's words, this great 18th century preacher, prophet, theologian, social critic, abolitionist, imperfect but humble man who leaned into a generous life. And he preached a sermon called The Use of Money. And we've taken his phrase. And his phrase is going to guide us through this series, the rest of the series. And the phrase is this. And I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Earn all you can. Say it. Save all you can. Give all you can. If you don't earn, if you earn all you can and you don't save all you can, then the Proverbs, God's wisdom has something to say about that. If we earn all we can and save all we can, but we don't give all we can, God's wisdom has something to say about that. So Wesley understood that earning, saving, and giving always had to be done within the perfect law of liberty, as James calls it in the Christian scriptures, and that law of liberty is love. He believed that this only works if we do it in light of our love for a neighbor. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Listen to the word of the Lord. You are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses. Let me pause. We live in a moment, and we live in a country that talks a lot about freedom. And a lot of times when we talk about freedom, we're talking about my and mine. And a lot of times, this my and mine starts to spill into the way the Bible talks about freedom. And what we don't oftentimes recognize is it becomes the opposite of what Scripture is calling us to. We are not autonomous, freestanding individuals. We are made in the image of God who is in and of God's self-community. We are made for community in the image of community to be tethered to community. There is no way that you and I as Christ followers can disconnect or dislocate or displace ourselves from a neighbor. Love your neighbor what? See, it's all tied into the greatest command. There is no love yourself and then you can love your neighbor. There's love your neighbor as you love yourself. The two are inextricably tethered, connected together, which is why Paul says this in the rest of the text. Don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture says, all things may be lawful, but not helpful. All things may be permissible, but not beneficial. We are not free to be whatever we want to be outside of our connection to the other. So that determines, uh, that means we have to speak into injustices. That means we have to speak into anything that harms a neighbor. That means we have to speak into oppressive things. It means we celebrate things. It means we weep with each other. We celebrate each other. It means we support each other. It means we bear one another's burdens. Right? And, 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 and John Wesley knew that. He knew that if you earned all you can, but you earned it on the backs of a neighbor, come on now, you with me? But that wasn't going to fly with the way of Yahweh. If earning hurts others, then I need to find a different way to earn. 
if saving hurts others, I need to find a different way to save. So Wesley knew that earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can, had to be filtered through the law of love that keeps us from doing things beyond what we should. Now, what I appreciate about this language is all you can. One of the things about this whole series that you and I have to resist is we have to resist the comparison game. We have to resist thinking that I need to match what they give. That's not what it says. And that's not where we're headed. And I don't think that's where the scripture goes. The promise of tithing carries over, but it is not the law in which we live. You with me on that? Scripture says, give of a cheerful heart for God rewards a what? Joyful giver. That's the scriptures. Now, that's just, that's New Testament stuff. That's Christian scripture stuff. So we don't have to meet some measure or standard, but we do know what we can do, don't we? You know what all you can means, right? I know what all I can means. I know when I'm gripping rather than giving. I know when I'm grasping rather than giving. And when Dave gets up here and we have a little conversation, we'll flesh that out a little bit more. So save all you can. That's what I wanted to talk about today. When, when Wesley talks about this idea of saving all you can, he's challenging accumulating and hoarding. He's challenging the goods that we collect and that we just collect and collect and collect and collect. And he's challenging all of that. And he's trying to say, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. It has to be taken together because you have to know that if you're going to earn all you can and save all you can, you got to give all you can because if you don't, you will accumulate so much that it will lead to affluence and affluence leads to amnesia. And if we are not careful, the material goods that we store up because we know they come with power, right? Money is power. Are we wrong? Possessions are power. That's why we had to add the word power in here. And when we have lots of money and lots of possessions, we can misappropriate, misuse, abuse the power they create. You with me? And we have to be clear that we so many times fail to see that God blesses us with, uh, us with stuff so we can turn them into stories. So that money turns into memories. Are you with me? Here's what I mean. You probably don't always remember how much that thing cost you, but you remember the story associated with that thing, don't you? You know times when you've given to something or given to somebody and it built, it created a beautiful story that you were a part of that. You're not even thinking about what you gave anymore. You're thinking about the story your giving created. That way that giving, the way that saving, the way that earning created an opportunity for you to join in something bigger than you. Years ago when this church was $350,000 in debt, when I first came here with $350,000 in debt, and this church decided that debt was not something the Lord wanted for his people. And so we worked to get rid of that debt. And while we were getting rid of that debt, the Lord presented an opportunity, and you're going to meet Francis B. in a few weeks, to support 250 AIDS orphans in Kenya who were being abused and who were being hurt and harmed and had nowhere to go because their parents had died. And it was just as much as we, as soon as we cleared up the debt, the Lord invited us into building two water wells, a school, a children's home, a church, all this beautiful stuff. Now, for those of you who participated in that, you may have to, do you remember how much you gave to it? Right. Some of you do, some of you don't. And that's the point. Because we, in God's grace, turned that money into memory. We turn that stuff into story. 
we joined God in something with what we had. And so with all of that said, sometimes we run into this belief that that saving then is not good. That somehow if we're called to this life of generosity, that we're not supposed to be savers. And I want to present to you that that's just as mistaken as thinking that God doesn't want to bless us with things. It is not money that is the root of all evil. It is what? It is the love of money. And that matters. We need to find ways to use our money and material, our money and possessions to worship God, not worship our money and possessions. And there's a means by which we do that. And we start with the wisdom of God. Everybody say God's wisdom. So one of the things that I thought was wise for us was to look at the wisdom Proverbs. Now, Proverbs are guidelines, not guarantees. A lot of times people read Proverbs as if they're guarantees. They're not guarantees, they're guidelines. They're snapshots into the wisdom of God. So I want to read a handful of Proverbs with you, all right? So I'm going to like throw them all at you. Some of you are going to be overwhelmed, and that is the way it works. But you got the notes here. I can give you mine. You can get them there. We can, we can share. It's in the Bible. All right, Proverbs 13, 11. Remember this proverb, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. <laughs> Gathering money little by little and growing it little by little is good. Because that requires intentionality. It requires planning. It requires living life on purpose. It requires resisting the urge to make a living and embrace the call to make a life. That is what God calls us to, this kind of intentional, purposeful life, which includes our things. So, saving, requiring intentionality and planning and wisdom. Well, the scriptures have a lot to say about that, particularly the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard. I don't know. You know, it's like, have you ever noticed the scripture calls us names? <laughs> Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. It's like the Proverbs trying to say the created order knows and has an impulse to plan and to save, to prepare. We can too. Because if we don't, we will be hasty or impulsive with what we own. You with me? Where we spend freely, buy freely, accumulate freely, and then the time comes and we have nothing left. And I want to pause for a minute and be really clear. Some of us struggle genuinely to make ends meet month in, month out. And so the idea of saving anything is so incredibly hard. And I want to be clear with you, you don't have to feel guilt about that. You don't have to feel a way about that. Do what you can, as you can, when you can, whatever you do, though. And we'll talk about this toward the end. Create enough tension in your life that you have to trust God to provide. Does that make sense to you? Create just enough tension in your life where you have to trust the Lord to come through. And that is hard. That is really hard. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. I always leave out one. 
Kind, oh, kindness. Well, that's, that was nice of me. And self-control. Against such there is no law. The Lord will provide. God has cattle on the land of a thousand hills. God's not up there. God the Father's not looking the Holy Spirit asking for a $20 bill. God's got abundance. Which is why this requires planning. It requires planning. Intentionality. Sitting down. Doing the hard work. Facing the hard questions of my own finances. And then doing what I can. Everybody say what I can. And that's the key. Because the Proverbs tells us the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Diligence gets us places. Impulsive living that is not calculated is not wise. That leads us to other places. Prepare your work outside, Proverbs 24 and 27. Get everything ready for yourself in the field and after that build your house. In other words, plan. Do the work of planning. Do the work of planning and do the work in your planning to realize there are some ways and some things you can save. Now, I want to pause again and I want to make this one more time. Saving cannot just be dressed in the clothes of I'm doing this because I'm afraid I'll run out if I have needs. Are you with me? That's the tension we live in. Because if we're saving for a rainy day and we ignore our neighbor's rainy day, we're all going to get caught up in the storm. You with me? Which is why the proverb says this. Listen. Goodness. Lots of things. That's why the proverb says this. Proverbs 3, 27 through 30. Do not withhold good from those who need it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow when you have it with you. So beloved, don't be surprised when God says, I need you to dip into your savings for your neighbor. You with me? Don't be surprised. Which is why the wisdom of Yahweh says, Proverbs 8, verse 10 through 11, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Our Proverbs 23, verse 4 through 5, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. But they will surely sprout wings and fly off, and this out off to the sky like an eagle. Yahweh is trying to say to us, We are all pursuing something, so don't pursue building bigger savings account don't pursue building a bigger savings account for your own rainy day just be planful be planning be diligent be intentional put things away as you can and when your rainy day comes god will provide through your own diligence and through the means of others and when our rainy day when my rainy day comes you'll be able to help me too does that make sense because that's how the early church did it we know that right we read this a hundred times in our witness series that we just came out of. We saw in church history over and over again that when somebody had need, what did they do? They met that need together. They shared it. If I had two houses and you had none, I sold one and gave you the proceeds so you could have something. Remember how it said that when somebody was hungry, they all fasted so everybody could eat? That is the economy of Yahweh. And we have to look at this through the lens of the economy of Yahweh, or we will miss the point. 
So if you're not feeling the tension, then I would suggest you're not doing it right. And Dave will talk about this. God calls us into feeling that because it's the stretching where the formation takes place. It's when I get to participate in a need that is met, I get to see how big God is. When I'm on the receiving end of a need that's met, I get to see how big God is. But I can't be on the receiving end if you're not on the giving end. And you can't be on the receiving end if I'm not on the giving end. You see how it all unfolds? So saving has to be understood within this frame of we earn all we can. Get after it, bro. To save all we can. To what? To give all we can. Because, as the scripture says, Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When Wesley talked about save all you can, Wesley was calling Christians to a lifestyle of simplicity. There are practices you can put into place that help you with this. We'll talk about those more as time goes along. I didn't share this in first gathering. But I'll share with you a practice that we do in our home that helps us save well. Um, then that helps us or helps us save and helps us um, make better like financial choices. Uh, every time I buy a new shirt or I buy a new pair of pants or I buy a new pair of whatever's, I give one old away. But I can't just give a scraggly one. I have to give one I like, which makes me think twice about impulsive spending. When Ian was little, for every toy he bought and for every video game he bought, we gave one away. It was a practice of simplicity in our home to try and keep us from giving in to our impulsive needs and move us toward at least calculated investment, right? right? So that we could make some different financial choices. There are other ways that we'll talk about in a minute, but for now I want to ask Dave Anderson to come up. Y'all just Dave, Dave, y'all. He's part of this church family, so many of you know him, but... Um, now, Dave, you have to use the microphone. No, no, oh, look, oh, you have the Garth Brooks mic. That works. I do. Good, good. I got chastised in the first service. You did, you did. Yeah. And I was going to get chastised if you didn't. Have. I was also told we have to sit close to each other. So, what's up, bro? What's How up? I'm good, man. I'm good. Brother love. All right, so, um, <laughs> holy kisses. Are we yeah. that back, bro? Yeah. All right, so talk to us about what you do for a living, Dave. Tell um, us what you do. What I do for a living professionally is I try to help people make wise decisions regarding their money. That's the best way to describe what I do. So he's a professional money man. Okay. Is that, no, no, that's not, that's not your preferred title. But I wanted his voice here because I wanted you to hear how our brother in Christ, a part of our family here, who works in the profession of financial advisement and investment, talks and thinks about money. Um, so Dave, what is your philosophy of saving? So uh, that's a very broad question, but I'm going to answer it the way I want to answer it, if that's okay. So, um, all of us are shaped by our background, and I grew up in, in a household where uh, there was a very healthy respect for money. Um, the things that Fred talked about this morning were taught in, in our house, um, and so I had good role models as it related to this area. Uh, unfortunately, uh, like every like most children, I did the opposite of what my parents did, and I uh, ended up having to learn the hard way, uh, which is sometimes the best, uh, best way to learn this. Um, but ultimately, I uh, grew up in churches where, I, I think some of us can appreciate this, where the whole I idea was give your 10%, give your tithe, and the other 90% is yours to do whatever you want with it. And 
as I uh, studied the scriptures, I realized that's, uh, that's not accurate. Okay, that's, uh, <laughs> there's really nothing in the Bible that said, says anything other than this is all God's and it's our responsibility to manage it well. And as it relates to uh, savings, um, what I found is really there's six main things that, uh, that the Bible talks about as it relates to saving and, and giving. Um, and everything we do kind of fits in this category. And so number one, to the best of our ability, um, we, we all have a responsibility to take care of ourselves, to not be a burden on others, again, to the best of our ability. Um, number two is we have immediate responsibilities in our household. Um, the Bible's pretty clear that to the best of our ability, uh, we are to care for those in our immediate households. Okay, I'm gonna have to make sure I get all, all six of these. Um, number three um, is we have a responsibility to our immediate church family. That's very clear. Number four is we have a responsibility to the widows, the orphans, the aliens, and those who are extraordinarily poor. Um, number five is we have a responsibility to be a witness in our community and to, to share Christ's love to our community. That's one of the best ways I think an individual or a church can, um, can share God's love is on how we love those who we might not like. Um, so very important. And number six, and this is the one Fred probably doesn't want me to say. This is awkward. It's very awkward. Um, but as I read the scriptures, we're supposed to give the teachers, our teachers, double the honor. And I don't know what double the honor me means, but back uh, in, in the Old Testament, that, uh, they got the choice cut of meat. <laughs> so, but, um, but we're supposed to give our pastors, uh, we're not supposed to withhold from the people who teach us, uh, is probably a good way to describe it. And, um, and everything, um, again, everything I've uh, learned from studying this um, comes, uh, you know, fits into those six categories. And then the other thing I think is very interesting, Fred, is um, everything that um, I work with with my clients comes right out of Proverbs. Mm -hmm. So everything that Fred talked to you uh, this morning, our, our industry, you know, the whole financial planning industry comes from the Bible. Uh, I don't think the industry realizes this, but, uh, but everything I teach, it, it, uh, Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. There's something in our industry called dollar cost averaging. Putting a little bit aside every single month out of your pay, if you're able to, that's steady plotting. That's, it comes right out of Proverbs. Um, and it just, it, it's remarkable to me. We, we make it more complicated than it needs to be. Um, it's simple and it's very difficult at the same time. Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to, I want to just affirm all of those those things he said because they are in scripture. The idea of me taking care of myself that is a biblical that is a biblical idea, right? Love your neighbor as you love what? All right, right. You have to take care of you, and that's not wrong. Some of us have bought into a version of Christianity that we can't take care of ourselves because that's selfish. That's not selfish. That's faithful. Taking care of yourselves to the neglect of others, including your neighbor and your enemy. Now that's selfish. Some of us come from an ideological framework where we love it when somebody says we're supposed to take care of ourselves. Well, just remember the other points that he made. <laughs> All right? It's a both and. 
Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, right? And then two verses later, and make sure you can bear your own burdens. You see the tension it's creating? That's how this works. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. You have to love yourself so you can love your neighbor. So that was his number one thing, so take care of yourself. Take care of your immediate family. That's, re that's, that's responsibility, that's important, because that's a witness. That's a witness to, to our faithfulness. That's a witness to God's faithfulness. Take care of our church family. That's, we talk about that a lot. Taking care of the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. That's as biblical as the Bible itself, right? It's as, as old as the book. The Hebrew tradition and the Christian tradition calls it the quartet of the vulnerable. The widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. Um, we take care of them. Matter of fact, James says, pure and undefiled religion is this, that we look after the widows and we take care of the orphans. We don't neglect the vulnerable. So it's all tethered together, right? And then that becomes our witness. So the question for any church is the question that we have for our own individual households. And I want to segue into that in a moment. What will a church be known for? Will a church be known for its big building and its great programs? Will a church be known for its Sunday event? Or will a church be known for its gracious hospitality and generosity? That is a choice every church gets to make. Amen. Does that make sense? And so a lot of times we think, and you can riff into this, we have this notion of bigger is better. So if we see a bigger church building, we think it's a much more successful or faithful or that's a good church, Dave. Is that always true? No. The bigger and better. No. The bigger and better. You were supposed to say more wait, than that. Wait, wait. Was that the right answer? No, no. I mean, okay. Okay. All right. Dave is done. Okay. No. Um, like there, there's, like, why, why is bigger not always better, Dave? In your world, why is bigger not always better? Um, when, when you look at uh, God's economy and God's law, uh, he doesn't talk about doing uh, bigger. Um, he, he talks about going deeper. That's it. And so oh. that's the part that... Uh, that kind of uh, blows me away, and I've, again, I've learned that the hard way in, in, uh, in my own life and kind of what, what we've done at times. And, and I think that's the language of plotting, right? Like, I do like that version better. Yeah. Um, the language of plotting is this constant deep move. It's, a deep, it's the deep work. And a lot of times we can think, when we're talking about saving or we're talking about giving or we're talking about earning, that we are so, like, we, some of us, we... we we don't earn as much as we would like. We can't save as much as we would like. We can't give as much as we like. Some of us are in a place where all of that is very, very, very hard. The, the, the encouragement to you is you've got to start somewhere. So just start. Plot. First plot. First plot. Then plot. Then plot. Then plot. And just keep moving forward and live in the tension. Because what does the tension do, Dave? The tension helps you to grow. Um... I just, I, I love the analogy of the only way to get stronger is to put more weight on the bar. Um, and again, that's how God helps us to grow is through that tension and kind of fighting through the tension. And if you don't, and Dave said this in first gathering, I'll just quote him. If you aren't feeling the tension in your finances, then you may not be plodding forward in the most faithful way. Feel the tension. I mean, that's, uh, that's it for me. So yeah, yeah. But I, 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 think that's, I think that's biblical. Yeah. Like, I think, there's, I think there's truth to that. Because when we feel the tension, what are we having to trust? <laughs> right. But if we aren't feeling tension, who are we really trusting? Let's be honest. Right? We're just kind of managing it. Managing it according to our own terms. Um, rather than stepping out in faithfulness to trust God with the consequences. And we can do that with wisdom. Right? And I mean, I mean it, I'm not making a plug for him at all. I mean, I'm serious, like God gives us people in the kingdom of God who lives in that space, who can help us think this through. 
Matter of fact, over the course, at, toward the end of this series, in seven years when we're done with this series, um, we're going to have a couple of options, either Financial Peace University or Crown Financial. And we're going to have classes so that everybody can, if you want to, can participate in that and really get down into the rub of it all. Because Dave said something in the beginning of the series when um, Aaron and I consulted him um, just for some, some wisdom uh, about this series. Dave said, Fred, we can't get the church's house in order, the household of God in order, until we get our individual houses in order. What do you mean by that? Um, I, I can do it as simple as Garrett, and here, here's the church, here's the steeple. You know, I'm, <laughs> okay. we, we are the church. Yeah, so we are the church. So if the, if the church's uh, finances, uh, financial house is not in order, it's hard for the church's financial house to be in order. And so uh, it's an opportunity for I think for all of us to grow in that area, um, and and it's it's what where God wants us to grow. He it wants is. us to be faithful stewards. It is, and y'all, this church in the last over decade has not been one of those eighty twenty churches. Y'all know what that is? The eighty twenty church, where twenty percent of the people are doing eighty percent of the work. That has not been the way of WCC, and it can't be the way of our generosity. It can't be the way of our witness. It has to be all of us can do something. We cannot be some, we cannot be um, everything to everyone, but we can be something to someone. And, and that includes even the things we own. You okay. got you got. Yeah. Uh, I brought uh, whoever would like to see this. I don't know if it's easy to pass around. Probably not. Uh, but tying exactly to what you said, I went home to get a prop. These are widow mites. So... Oh. And they're, they're amazing. Um, these are from probably 2,000 years ago. And they're fascinating to look at. Um, the, the woman who gave this, this is all she had, and she was praised. And then this is a shekel, which um, I'm showing you guys the wrong way. This is a silver coin. 30 of these equaled a slave. If he died in your care, you owe the other person. 30 of these, that's what a life was worth, and that's what... Jesus was sold for it. So it's, it's amazing just to look at these and, and touch them and think about these little coins right here. This, that woman was praised because she, um, I mean, it was attitude. It wasn't amount, it was attitude. So mm -hmm. it's pretty, pretty spectacular. Appreciate these, bro. Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait a second. Okay. They don't belong to me. Oh, see, see what I get okay. to do now? Now uh -huh. you have to give them. See, yeah, like see? That, that okay. works out. Seriously, y'all should, um, we should have a chance to look at these. Dave, any parting words on this? Um, you asked me that first service, and it's always nice to get a, a do-over from yeah. the second service. You got it. Um, so my do-over from the second service uh, is I'm just, uh, Ann and I, my wife, we are so thankful that we're part of a church that takes this seriously. And um, mm. that part is pretty amazing. So thank you, and then thank all of you, because I know you guys share our heart um, and our, our love for each other and our love for our community. Mm. So. Brother, thanks for being a part of this. Um, this conversation on money, possessions, and power, it doesn't have to be scary and gnarly. But it has to happen because it's the stuff of life. It's where life is lived. It's, it's the reality of the world in which we live. Um, and frankly, y'all, this is the witness that has set WCC apart. Our city knows that if they have needs, they can call us. And we have to be faithful to that responsibility. Um, it's never been a no for WCC in our leadership. It's always only been a how. Are you with me? 
And we have to take care of each other in that journey as well. It's a both end. We can live, and I'm going to quote our brother Rob, we can live in the end. We have to live in the end, um, which means we have to have these conversations because we know what God lived in. God lived in the end of being fully God and coming and fully human and fully incarnating, putting skin on, embodying the life of humanity that we could not live, to live the life we could not live, to do what we could not do, to accomplish what we could not accomplish, to liberate us from what we could not liberate ourselves. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 